DJ and PK brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision Spring LASIK Sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Question of the day, Joe Ingles. Who thought he could be this good? Admit it, there's no way you did. And Brendan just tweeted at us, I will admit that I thought he was going to be a bench player who would last a season or two at best. He's completely proved me wrong. Okay, the line begins over here. (laughs) So I'm curious. He's a bench player. How many Joe Ingles are out there that don't get discovered? You know, let's say that Joe had stayed with the Clippers. And... They have guys who play the positions in front of him. And, you know, in Utah, one thing or another happened. And partly it was Joe getting better, but partly opportunity knocked, right? Yes. Gordon Hayward left, played a very similar role to Joe. Joe could have been stuck behind him and had less opportunity. And you can probably go down a list of other players, right? You could end up with another team. And, I mean, it was the Clippers. It could have been somebody else could have offered. He could have gone there. It could have been stuck behind guys and not quite... Not quite clicked, right? You don't work with the same assistant coach who pumps you up with confidence and wants you to do something and and talks you in the right way so you really buy into, hey, I can make the step back three. Who knows what little things tweak that and it goes differently. How many guys out there who could be a Joe Ingles, and you can go back because you started to do it in the last segment and reference other jazz players who seem to come out of nowhere, right? Uh, Royce would be a current example. Uh, way back, Raja Bell would be an example. The Jazz have a long history of second-round draft picks and undrafted guys who turned into pretty good NBA players. And Joe's going to the high end of that group, you know, literally leading the league right now in three-point shooting. But I wonder how many guys are out there in the NBA who, if they got in the right system, had the right teammates, which means putting good players around you but not in front of you at your position so that you get the chance and get enough of a chance to really show what you can do. I wonder how many guys there are. By definition, I don't think we know it, but I'm curious. All right, well, I'm not. Um, I think those guys uh, come to pass. I don't know that these are the 450 best players in the world, so every single one of them. Uh, belongs there over somebody else <clears throat> because I believe there's good ball play at the college level and like Suggs, to me Suggs is an NBA player right now <clears throat> and he hasn't played a down or a play in the NBA but I still think he's an NBA player right now uh, and he'll, he'll need some adjustment time and I, I would also throw into the equation you know, as far as timing and timing being well, he's the best three-point shooter in the league. Well, that means a whole heck of a lot more, more yeah. today than in 1991. Yeah, right? He would have never gotten a green light the way he's gotten it now. He's definitely a guy who is playing in the right generation, the right time for his skill set. Yeah, and that's extremely important. And he's playing it on a team that gives the go-ahead <clears> – <throat> I saw something, was it yesterday in pregame? Quinn Snyder, I think it was yesterday, I'm not sure, that he said he'd rather have a guy go 0 for 10 from 3 than 2 for 2. I may be paraphrasing, but the point he was making is he wants the volume. 
So the era that Joe's in is obviously best suited, <laughs> and the team that he's on, too. Because I don't know that other teams want that type of uh, amount of threes put up to the level that the Jazz do, and they clearly that they do. Jerry Sloan never said, I want someone to go for 10. <laughs> he didn't say it. Jerry said, we've got enough three-point takers. We need some three-point makers. Yeah, it was just a different time. Oh, absolutely. Different philosophy. Absolutely. He wasn't surrounded by this many guys who could shoot the three. I mean, it just had to kind of evolve. It didn't happen in a moment. You know, why don't you, why don't you shoot a few more threes? Why don't you shoot a few more threes? Hey, let's go all in, said Houston, and shoot more than that. Yeah, I think they had them back then. They just didn't know it or use it or want it. I mean, I think the players back then could have shot just as well. It's not that long ago. I mean, we're not going back in that long. I mean, certainly Stockton and Hornacek could have shot. There are guys who could have shot game. it, sure. Russell but, was decent. But we're at a point now where there's 50 or maybe even 51 guys shooting 40% and a whole bunch of guys at 38 and yeah, 39% that aren't but, that far off. And I think they could have done it then, too. Mm. I, don't, I don't think this is that long ago to where the skills of the players have dramatically transformed. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. We'll never know. But that's just my own thought, and if you want to think otherwise, I can't prove or disprove it either way. But just using the, <clears throat> the Jazz as a team. So all those factors had to come in, and I think the number one factor is Joe himself. I think you have to give the credit to the individual to uh, look at it and see, where do I fit in, where do I need to get better? And he talked about how uh, Quinn Snyder told him in the early days, you want to get on a four, play me D, and then I can I can use you. So, you know, he had to go through that. And then, then you can see it in his release, and he's talked about it, to where <clears throat> the release bringing the ball down as opposed to keeping it uh, above your shoulders. So you're catching and shooting all virtually in the same motion. Uh, he, and Joe's talked about that. I've seen him. I used to go early in the, uh, you know, get there at 5 o'clock at the arena and just sit there. The, the, the public wasn't allowed in, but obviously we'd be in and just sit in uh, upper uh, level of the lower bowl and watch him just take these shots a million times over. I think Guthrie, who's gone now, was his assistant. Mm-hmm. And they would just work on it over and over and over again. Yeah, it's like I told you that time, uh, one time I was at the uh, Mount, um, the Big West, Big West, uh, West Coast Conference tournament, and I was at the Orleans, and I saw Sabonis for like 20 minutes. He was working on footwork, he, and he had no ball. He did not. He was not putting a shot up. He was just working on footwork, doing all these things in the post. Well, he's transformed himself into a pretty good player. So that's what it takes, and I think that's a credit to the individual that he's willing to do that. And I think ultimately the credit goes to Joe for him doing what he needed to do. And then certainly you have to go and start with the management. That's that's what I was talking about yesterday in this Dwayne Wade thing, and it's exciting to have Dwayne Wade associated with the team, but let's not forget the organization has done some great things, and, and Wade can be an asset to that organization, no question, but I believe that the organization is bigger than any one individual, and you have to have all these experts doing what they do, and from the Jazz perspective, they deserve credit for developing Joe Ingles, so I'd put it Joe 1 for developing himself, and then the organization 2, and that includes everybody. 
It's not a singular Quinn Snyder, Dennis Lindsay, whomever. I'm talking everybody involved, people that I probably don't even know and know their names. They're involved in getting this man to be a an extremely talented player on the team that has the best record in the league. Yeah, I think that uh, your point about Wade, that goes to what he said when he said, I wanted to be part of something bigger than myself. Yeah. And the thing is, it's not only all the people in the organization now, many of whom we can't name, uh, you know, but it's all the people who built on that. You know, why did why did Dennis Lindsay want to work for this organization? Well, he knew the Millers were, you know, a patient uh, ownership group. There are probably other opportunities. And, you know, it certainly had friends take other opportunities where it's like, yeah, you got a window. But, man, they will move. (laughs) <laughs> and they will move on you if it doesn't go right right away. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they 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 trusted Dennis because there was some lean times and they knew full well we coming. are going to have lean times. This yeah. is not going to be a surprise here. We're going to have lean times, but this is the plan and we're going to stick to the plan and we're not going to overreact and we're not going to just blow it up and restart the plan and then whatever the progress we've made, we've just undercut that progress by starting all over again. And that's what I've said a million times. That's what drives me crazy, the uh, opportunity to have a plan and then you get in a panic situation and then you change it all and you just wasted all that time so they didn't do that so all these folks put them in a pot and they all deserve credit and now here's joe shooting 49 percent, posing after buckets against the lakers holding it and random people in the staples center yelling at him and joe loving every second of it (laughs) yeah that that adds to his story yeah uh that he's uh What's the word? Boisterous, flamboyant, emotional. I'm not even sure I can pinpoint it out on the floor. Uh, and the, the bottom line is having fun. And that's what he uses to motivate himself. And, you know, it's trash talkers of the past. We, we hear of Reggie Miller talking about Larry Bird. And we know that Gary Payton loved to do that stuff. And Westbrook today seems to play like uh, somebody just ran over his cat or something. I mean, he's always furious about one thing or another. Uh, and if that's what uh, works for him, great to be to me be motivated. And Joe likes to do all this stuff. And plus, the, the thing that I think the connection from the fan base is that he hasn't isolated himself. He's not behind the walls all the time that – People look at him and they see somewhat of a common dude. And, you know, he's got these issues in his life and he's put him out there with his child and the autism. And so he could be your neighbor. And if he was your neighbor, hey, Joe, how's it going? What you up to? Uh, yeah, hey, got to go. I got to go to play a basketball game. You know, just mm. the, it, it just he seems like a common man rather than this huge, huge celebrity that is completely and totally unapproachable. I wonder, I wonder how many more of those there'll be and to what degree, because the players are getting more and more removed from the community, you know, and it's for lots of reasons and lots of little things, and sometimes it's uh, planned and sometimes it's just happenstance. 
You know, I mean, I, I give you an example. They, you know, they put the the chef in the. Uh, they've got the chef who cooks for the players in the facility, right? And Locke was telling us last week about, you know, there are days that are locked out, and there are days you got to be there for practice, and there's a get what you need day. And maybe you just come down, and, and the chef cooks a meal for you, and you get some shots up, and you need treatment on whatever you know, ankle or wrist or whatever is bothering you, and then you grab something for lunch, and then you leave. Well. Carl Malone, when he was a rookie, you know, none of that existed. And so he had his favorite restaurants and he interacted with people at those restaurants. And people knew, uh, you know, Bowler will have Bowler on and he'll tell you all about, um, you know, the Judge Cafe. And Carl was a regular there and people would see yeah. him and tell him, hey, go get him tonight, Carl, or, you know, whatever, whatever the topic of the day was. And that's all gone now, you know? And literally, we got players living in gated communities. I don't know how many of them. I know at least one of them, and I suspect there's a couple more. Uh, and they're just not interacting with people the same way. And the celebrity and the money, it sounds like a cop-out to kind of say it has to be that way, but I feel like inevitably it's going to be that way. Well, I think that to a degree the situation is dictated that it be that way because put yourself in the player perspective. When you walk out, somebody wants something from yeah. you. Right, that's the celebrity Almost I'm talking all, about. at all times. Totally agree. And so do you want to deal with that? And what are their motives? Motivations. What do they, what do they yeah. want from you? Well, mm-hmm. Are they trying to figure out a way to get close to you so you give them money? And where are we going with this stuff here? Yep. And so the money is outrageous, and it can solve all sorts of problems for a lot of different people. So those guys got to be careful. And then you get the women angle involved and all that stuff. And and I couldn't imagine, I'll never imagine because I won't be in that position, but who do you trust? And what is your circle? I would think your circle would be tight. And how do you let people in? Do you want to let them in? What's it going to be? Because somebody, every time, almost every second you're out there, is going to want something. If it, And maybe it just be, is a hello. Mm-hmm. and Or a, a handshake. A handshake, yeah. a yeah. selfie, This in this era, a selfie. Yeah, my wife took a, a selfie with Steve Nash when we were in the security line and Southwest Airlines flying. He was flying from L.A. to Phoenix. We were flying from L.A. back here on a, a football trip that she came with me, and it was in September, and he was after he had moved to the Lakers. And he just turned around and posed, and it was, you know. I did it so quickly because I was sort of embarrassed uh, that it was actually blurry, and you could barely ah, tell. You wrecked it. <laughs> I did. You wrecked did. it. Yeah, I did. I did because I just that's not what I do. Uh, but she's she wanted it, and he was right standing literally right in front of us in the security line. So to me, these guys, uh, I I don't view them as anything but basketball players or whatever players they are. And if I know you, if I would know Joe, I'll I'll chat with him. But the rest of them, I would just. I got nothing to say to you. You're a basketball player. And then in another time, we were at Manhattan Beach out in the water and just kind of wading in, and there he was. So this was an entirely separate time a few years later, and there he was with his two kids. And I said, that's Nash five feet away from us. But she didn't want to say anything to him. She's too chicken. (laughs) (laughs) You got to know PK's wife to know how how entertaining this is. Yeah. You can tell her I found this very entertaining. (laughs) And she always liked – I mean, she's a Phoenix fan because she's a Phoenix native, right? Mm -hmm. So she uh, roots for all those teams. And uh, one other time we were at the Phoenix Open, and she loved Dan Marley, Thunder Dan. And here comes Marley. 
and we're in between holes. We're over by the entrance. And of course, there's millions of people there, millions of thousands. And I said, we're walking. I said, here comes Marley, man. He's coming right at us. And I saw him about 10, 15 yards away. And uh, she didn't say anything. <laughs> she, she walked right by. And I will tell you one other time. We were down at, this is another story, at the Phoenix Open. Now, she loves Ricky Fowler, right? That's her favorite golfer, somebody who hasn't done a whole lot, but nevertheless has got a lot of run. And um, I got credentialed because it was Johnny Miller's uh, last broadcast. Remember, I went down and, and, and mm-hmm. had a little press conference. Yep. And she was with me, and they give you a parking pass. And so you walk through the security with the parking pass, and then that leads you into the golf area where you can get your credential to then have access, right? So she's with me, and I've got the parking pass that they mail you. And uh, I show it to them, and they let me in. She's right with me. So now we're in the player's parking lot, right? And who do you think is unloading stuff out of an SUV not more than 10 yards away? Like it's Ricky orange? Fowler. <laughs> <laughs> And I say to her, I say, she looks, there's Ricky Fowler. I said, don't say anything. <laughs> because now we're on company time. Yeah, right. Right? And I, no, no. Before those other times, I wasn't on company time. You, I'm were, just, you were a spectator in a spectator area. Yeah, I'm just Joe's citizen. Yeah, yeah, now we're in a secured area. Right, with a media and, pass. Yeah. Right, yeah. And I'm going to pick up my media pass, and it's just a, it's a parking lot, basically, that you walk through. And then when you get to the end of the parking lot, that's where you get your pass that allows mm-hmm. you your credential to do what you need to do. And uh, then she went in and just went into the gallery. And I said, don't say anything. And she, oh, I said, no, don't say anything. Please, don't say anything. So I told her not to. But then uh, we, we walked down to get the pass, and he walks right by her. I mean, shoulder to shoulder. And I said to her, well, why didn't you say good luck today? Because you told me not to say anything. <laughs> I said, well, you come up, could have said good luck to him. And then she could have spoken to Ricky Fowler. But but she didn't. She she listened to me. So we were professional the whole way. Uh, so now we got to get one clarification before we run here, PK. So, <laughs> so were you in the photo with Steve Nash and your wife, because then it's a no. selfie. If you're taking the no. photo, it's not a selfie anymore. Now it's a photo. Got people who are very particular. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you took I'm a photo of the two of them. I, I took the photo and I hurried it so fast that it was blurry, yeah. and it's it's not even worth showing people because you don't really know that it's Steve Nash. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. A jazz update on the way. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for the Bleacher Report, coming up in half an hour right here on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Sean Devaney, NBA editor for Heavy.com, also contributes to Forbes Sports. Is there value in being the number one seed for the Jazz? Should that be a goal of theirs to end the year? I think 26-3 and three is a pretty good sample size. <laughs> you, know, yeah. that, you know, even though it's not the same, you know, there's obviously a comfort level there and, and teams don't like going there. So no question that whatever it is, Utah has a big advantage at home and they absolutely need to do what they need to do to... Yeah, you balance it against, we, we've got to make sure these guys are rested. We've got to make sure that we're not putting anybody at risk. But I do think of any team in, in either conference, really, that Utah is a team that should really kind of keep its focus on that number one seed. 
Hans and Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, this segment brought to you by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. Utah Jazz beat the Lakers. Now they get a day off to get ready for the Rockets. And they don't have any back-to-backs here. They're actually going to get a, uh, what, a two-day break. Uh, Wednesday to Saturday. They're not going to play Thursday or Friday. So there'll be some rest coming up. But PK, this resting uh, discussion and Rudy Gobert taking that first Laker game off has got your attention. And you have a possible solution. Well, yeah, I was listening to Phoenix Radio yesterday, and they're talking about resting, you know, what to do with Chris Paul. Mm -hmm. And it's a big topic. Used to not be a topic you'd play, but now it's a big topic around the league. What do you do? And Mark Jackson was talking about it in his day. If you wanted to rest, well, kick the crap out of the teams, and you can sit in the fourth quarter. Is there something to be said for that? Is that good enough rest? This rest issue will continue. Now the Suns are still right on the heels of the Jazz. Uh, we thought that this road trip would be a defining time for both teams because they have a five-game road trip against the best teams in the East. How good they are remains to be seen. And with that in mind, would they... Uh, lose some games, so then that would really open up a cushion for the Jazz, and the Jazz literally could rest guys and like they did on Saturday afternoon and not have to worry because they'll have the cushion. Well, the Suns get the win over Milwaukee. It's somewhat of a controversial thing at the end there on a foul, and Booker goes to the line and makes the first one and misses the second one on purpose because the Bucks had no timeouts left. And so they get out of there with the win. Now they're going on to Boston, and we thought Boston was finally living up to what it was supposed to be. And they turn around last night and lose to the Bulls, and the Bulls don't have their best score. They're all-star, and Levine is not playing. And the Celtics lose. Just miserable. And, and I was that they had the free NBA package, so I was watching that. Ainge was doing commentary. Danny, not Austin. Uh, on that guy, I'm listening. Is, is that Ainge? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, he was doing it for the home team. And then I switched over after a while because that game started earlier because then I wanted to watch the Suns and the Bucks and then, of course, the Jazz and the Lakers. So, what we thought was maybe going to be a difficult trip for the Suns now, well, they're already 1 0. And if the Celtics aren't what we thought they were, well, and you never know who's going to play with the Sixers. It seems like uh, those guys, Embiid, Simmons, those guys take off all the time. So maybe that isn't as tough and all that stuff. So the point being, the Jazz then won't get a little bit of a breather. Well, what do they do? How do they handle the rest situation relative to the number one seed? Mark Jackson was talking about didn't smoke people, and then you get to sit out during the actual game. So what do you think about that? Uh, I like it. I think the one problem with it is that the three-point shot now is uh, such an easy shot for so many guys that coaches who used to think a game is safe with a 10- or 12-point lead, now, depending on you know time and all that, but now they want 15- or 20-point leads. And... You know, I get a fifteen or twenty point lead. Well, and and certainly that is a possibility, right? I think that you can sit the last five minutes of a game before that. I don't, uh, I don't think Quinn would tell us if we asked, and I don't think he's been asked, but I haven't heard every availability either. 
you know, could if you had a 20 or 25-point lead with eight minutes left, would you think that's safe? Or once you've had someone drop a 21-3 to run on you, is there really no number that's safe? You're just looking at the clock and thinking, well, with four or five minutes left, I'll take the guys out. Because if Rudy's going to play 32, let's just say 32 minutes just to pick a number. If he suddenly doesn't have to play the last five, you know, can you drop that to 27? And how different will he feel? I think sometimes they use rest to hide an injury. I think if you have some nagging injury, guys are going to sit games no matter what. But if it's purely a rest issue, and I did hear Jackson on that comment, if it's purely a rest issue, then there is something to be said for not playing a five minutes because you and I both believe all minutes are not created equal. You know, you can glide through minutes early in a game that won't be as competitive and demanding as the last five minutes of a game that's a two or three, you know, one, two or three possession game. You know, all minutes aren't created equal. Well, that, that brings up the Catfish Hunter line when they started allowing women media into the locker room. He said that they'll learn that all men aren't created equal. You love that line. <laughs> How long ago? Catfish Hunter. What percentage of our listeners even know who he is? What difference does it make? It's about the line. <laughs> it's not about the person. <laughs> it's a 40-year-old line. It's, yeah, yeah the, the, the Constitution is older than that, and I abide by it. Ah, oh, that a kid. There you go. Maybe you don't. (laughs) You're abiding by the Constitution is now stirring the pot? Absolutely. Man, you try to please everybody at all times. Take a stand. I don't think that that pleases people. (laughs) I literally don't think it does. My group owns the Constitution. Your group doesn't respect. By saying that's a controversial statement, that's not trying to please people? Hmm, I would disagree with that. Mm. So do you think I they're going to do it? Do you think they're going to have it? The Constitution of the Jazz is to blow people out if you want rest. Do you think they're going to have enough 20-point leads that they're going to have uh, sit in the last five minutes? That's a potential solution. Do I think so? Uh, possible. I mean, if, if you're concerned, it depends on how much concern they have regarding the rest. Because that's the question that I can't really answer because I don't know what they, – they can't say it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure they really know. It's sort of take it as they come. As I see the game on Saturday, I, looking back, I can see where they're going. But how many times are you going to have that situation like that where your body clock is all out of whack of what you're used to doing? Yeah. You have back-to-back day games. When's the last time they've had back-to-back day games in a regular season or ever? I don't know that it's ever happened that, that I can recall here, with this group anyway. So at the time when I saw that, I thought, what are these guys doing? And we always want, oh, the ghost of the statues, they're rolling over, blah, blah, blah. Well, you talk about, you want an <laughs> no, old time? Yeah, the catfish hunter, okay, that's way old, but that line will stand the test of time. The idea of those guys playing all that stuff back then, forget about it. You could say, well, they did it back then and they're still living. Oh, fine, but it's not relevant to now because nobody does it. And, well, yeah, do we got to follow the crowd? You can come up with all sorts of stuff. But the fact that's like, let's get rid of BYU's honor code. That's, you know, let's discuss things that are never going to happen. It doesn't make any sense. So to whine about, well, in their day, they played 82, and the one year Thurl played 84 when he got traded. Great. That's awesome. 
but it has no bearing on now. It just doesn't happen now. It's not the way it is now. So with that in mind, I thought, what are they doing? But now that we've come past it a few days and I've had time to think about it, it makes a, it made a whole lot of sense to do it. Now, that's an unusual situation that they're not going to have the rest of the year. Right. So I don't know how they handle it because I don't really know what their thinking is. They're not going to come out and say, we got to have that one seed or we're screwed. Nah, we don't really care about the one seed. They can't say it. Now, they're thinking about it, but there's stuff you can't say. So how do they handle it? Well, one solution is if you want rest, more rest is to put it on these guys, whoever the opponent is, like tonight, or tomorrow night, I should say, Houston against Houston. They uh, stink, right? They play, then, yeah, the Jazz play the Suns the last day of April, and well, between now and then, it's nobody, week. nobody, and nobody. Houston, Minnesota, Minnesota, and Sacramento. It's four lottery teams, even with the new smaller 10-team lottery. Those are lottery teams. So you could, you could and you've, got a, uh, you've already got two days off, on the 22nd and 23rd, this Thursday and Friday. Uh-huh. So I don't, it, to your point that it's a one off, and there's probably one, there's two more back to backs. I could see them on Saturday, May 1st, sitting certainly Conley. I don't know when Mitchell's coming back. He, I'm sure he wants to be back for the Phoenix game. I don't know if they'll let him be back or want him to be back. I, you know, they're going to reevaluate him after a week. So I guess it'll, we'll see what it looks like then, and maybe we'll hear something. But that Toronto game on the second night of a back to back, they could be resting guys there. Fine. And, and then one other back-to-back, but it's your point about the blowouts. They play Denver and Houston back-to-back later this year. But do you need your whole team to beat Houston? And can you beat them and sit guys the last five minutes? Houston's been getting blown out by a lot of teams for whatever reason. They play the Suns close, and then they get blown out by the Clippers, and they play the Suns close, and then they lose to the Nuggets. But I'd have to look it up. I think they lost by like 28 or 29 or something like that. I don't think it got to 30, but they get blown off the floor. And the thing that the Jazz, and I'm sure they're well aware of this too, is that the Rockets are playing for nothing and all this stuff, but they're looking for incremental progress, some sign that they can build off of. Well, how about being the best team in the league? That gives you a shot in the arm. That gives you some level of momentum, something that you can sell, something you could rationalize. So then you got that factor in. Well, you're going to get their best shots because you got the best record in the league. And you are who you are. So they're looking for some positive. Well, it's a positive to any game to win. It's a positive. It's certainly even more of a positive to beat the best team in the league. So how do you handle that? That's stuff that the Jazz have to figure out. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst for the Bleacher Report, coming up at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. I've been working on something on the Jazz and how they have kind of put things together since last March. And I don't think there was a team in the league that got more value out of the bubble than the Utah Jazz. On a personal level, reconnecting after all the things that happened in March was valuable. And I think on a professional level, how they played and the confidence it gave them was valuable. They didn't walk away from that Denver series feeling down. It hurt, but most of those guys walked away from that Denver series thinking, we can be great. I think it's been a real springboard for what they're doing this year. Catch the big show. We Weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for Bleach Report, is going to join us in the next segment. But right now, 
It's time for the life and times of Patrick Kinahan. PK, you got a story for us. Uh, you and our listeners, I think, will enjoy this because it, it's meshing sports with politics, which it, obviously those two topics are being meshed all the time, right? Uh, certainly, we can't, we can't disagree. You can disagree on whether it should be, but we can't disagree with the fact that it is being meshed together on many, many levels, right? We'd all agree with that. So, over the weekend, I'm down in St. George playing golf. And I'm with my wife, so we're a twosome, and we get hooked up with another twosome, obviously, on a Saturday afternoon, right? And so you introduce yourself, the first tee, we've all been there, we've all done that, and it's two gentlemen that we're playing with, and one of the guys uh, mentions, uh, you know, say, hey, what's your name? And I always tell people, what's your name? I say, Pat. I just say, Pat. I never say PK. <laughs> uh, I just say, always say, Pat, right? And uh, then they'll say, Matt? And I'll say, no, Pat! Try, try to establish boundaries right off the bat. Here. <laughs> Especially with the emphasis. That's so you. <laughs> what do you mean that's so me? <laughs> Establishing boundaries. The, the part about you screaming at somebody, for people who don't know, he wouldn't do that. He'd be quietly disappointed. But it is for people who know you on the radio, it is amazing how quiet you can get in public. Golf course included. Other situations, too. Yeah, you, sure. can, you can get freakishly <laughs> quiet. And, and people who don't know you are, would be blown away by that. But anyway, c- continue. Yeah. yeah, so, because I'm there to play golf, you know, and I'll have a little conversation, but, you know, I don't really, don't, I'm not much of a talker anyway uh, in those situations. So, and uh, so he introduces himself to my wife and the other guy, and he says his name is Greg. And they're up a little bit. Uh, they, I was playing from the blue. They were going to play from the white. So she went up to them. So they were up uh, ahead of me. So I didn't really hear it. And uh, she says, oh, your voice sounds really familiar. And he says, uh, yeah, you probably know it because I'm a lawmaker. Or I was a lawmaker. Well, she comes back. She says, Greg, he's a lawmaker. And uh, I put two and two together, and then he ends up telling her anyway. Well, Greg, and I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing this story, is Greg Hughes, who ran for governor. Mm-hmm. Right? So he's playing. And I got a cap. I got glasses. I tell myself, uh, introduce myself, Pat. I don't say who I am. I hardly ever say it unless somebody asks. And uh, he's a huge sports fan. Grew up in Pittsburgh and knows, I mean, he knows a lot about uh, Pittsburgh sports. And so it's obvious. So I figured hmm, it's probably a good chance that uh, he knows who PK is, right? But I don't say anything. And we're having a great time. He's a great guy to play golf with. Uh, self-deprecating, funny, and, you know, a good conversation. So I thought, well, I'm going to say something to him, but I'm going to wait to the end, mm-hmm. right? So we're on the 16th green. And... We each got about uh, seven or eight uh, fo- uphill, seven or eight foot uphill par putts, right? So, and we're both we both hit to the left of the green a little bit. It's a par three, and uh, so we chip up a little. We're, we're, we're like five yards away, so we're from each other, and we're walking. And the the pin is up in the back right hand corner. We're down lower left. So I said, "Hey, you know, you're a lawmaker, right?" I said. Uh, who's the guy who uh, started uh, the audit of Utah? 
Well, I knew full well who it was. <laughs> <laughs> baiting it, man. Baiting that hook. And she goes, well, that was me. <laughs> and I took all sorts of crap, Bart, and we're walking to the ball. And he's, his adrenaline is getting going now, and he's going through all this stuff and all the negative feedback he got and all the stuff that they uncovered in the waste that they found and how people at the U said it was good for them to uh, do that because they found ways they can save money and not, or at least not waste money. So he's telling me all this stuff, right? So then he gets, and he's getting going pretty good. And he's, he's talking about all the negative reaction and all the grief he took. Right. And I'm sort of laughing. And my wife's over there snickering because she knows exactly what I'm doing. Uh And he goes to putt. And he sails it like five feet, five, six, seven feet past it. <laughs> and that's he goes, oh, fault. you got my adrenaline. You got me all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we had a good laugh. <laughs> and I made my putt. I'm calm as can be, right? So I made the part putt. And he's laughing about, oh, thanks for getting me all worked up, blah, 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 blah. And I said, I said, well, yeah, the media. Man, they, 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 you really can't trust them. Then we get in the carts, and, and we're starting to drive away, and he's shouting at me because our cart's ahead, and he wants to tell me about some media stuff. And we get to the 17th hole, and he's still going. And he's telling about he, he did some sports radio, and they were giving him crap, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, man. I said, uh, man, that media, I said, especially sports media and sports radio, you just can't trust those guys. And I said to myself, I said to my wife, isn't that right? And she looks at him and she says, yeah, the reason why he's telling you that is because that's PK. <laughs> PK! Oh, man! <laughs> Look at you go. Did he find that funny afterwards? Oh yeah, Good, yeah. Okay. As I said, it was great to play. It was absolutely great playing partner. Yeah, it was. I would play, I would play golf with. And I guess you know, as Paul, I'm not a big political guy, but as far as playing golf with him, I'd play golf with him a hundred times out of a hundred times. Absolutely, I'd play golf with him. Yeah, he was a great guy to. You never know who you're going to get paired up with, and he was great. And his and his partner was great. We had a great time. We spent a great four hours together playing golf. And he and his buddy, they were competing against each other. And I'm coming off, so I hit my ball in the 17th tee, and his buddy comes up to me and says, man, that's great. Thanks for distracting him. Usually I have to work to get him off his game, but you're doing that. <laughs> oh, look at you. Look at <laughs> you now go. you're in the middle of whatever, whatever deal they got going on. So, <laughs> PK, I go to my men's league last week. I'm warming up, and they call out Hatch because I'm playing with my dad and my father-in-law. Guy turns around and says, are you Jake Hatch? I'm like, yes. He's like, okay. And then he says, I played with PK once upon a time in St. George. Tell him Mrs. K is better than him for me. Oh, she is. I mean, I've been sucking so bad. So she's he, been, he wanted me to pass that along to you. She's, she's been playing well. But we spent that afternoon with Greg Hughes, and my wife loved him uh, because he was a great playing partner. We had a great time, and I waited till the 16th green before I said anything. And he, once he figured out who I was, it, it, he was even funnier then. At least you let him get through most of the round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I thought, I'm not going to let this go. And normally I would never say, hey, I'm PK, I'm on the radio, look at me, blah, 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 blah. Uh, But I felt like under this circumstance, uh, he'd probably know who PK was, especially since he was a big sports fan. I didn't realize 
excuse me, how big of a sports fan he was. But when you're with somebody for 16 holes, you know, you get to find out. And, and there probably are somewhat of a sports fan because you're playing a sport. You know, we're not at the theater here. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the golf course. I'm not cultured. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but your so, wife might have dragged you there. It could have well, happened. It, it could have, but uh, she knows now. In fact, as recently as, oh, let's say yesterday, when she took my daughter to go see Less Miserables at the uh, Hale Center, and I sat back watching my free NBA uh, uh, ticket. Water finds I, its I, level, PK. Water finds I, its level. Yeah, and they had a great time, and so did I. So it was a, it was a total win-win situation. What a day. So, yeah, it was, it was a great day, yeah. So we had... Uh, a great opportunity on Saturday to play with Greg Hughes, and and it was a fun, fun time. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for Bleacher Report. Stay with us.